Amen. It is all about Him and all about His grace, all about His truth, and all about worshiping Him and Him alone. Mm. I just love it when we come from exuberance and worship down to very quiet for the Lord. When we sing our hearts out, and then as we come toward hearing His Word, we are silenced, more or less, in His presence. It's just a good sense of the presence of God as we wait upon Him. I just want to pray again. Let's pray. Father, we bow to acknowledge that indeed it's all about you. Your provisions, your grace, your love, your sacrifice to give us life, to give us your presence in our lives. And Lord, as we prayed earlier and as we've sang and as we've heard the scriptures read from Isaiah and from Psalms and from Philippians, we've heard, Lord, the word that has said, it's all about you. That you are the God who gives us light. You are the God who brings the rain and the drought and the good and the bad and as Job said, can we accept the good from you without also accepting the bad? And, you know, Lord, we, we sometimes just get real ticked off when things don't go just like we want them to. But, Lord, we always have to remember that you are the God who reigns and the God who works and the God who cares for his own. Father, you're the God who watches over us, your children. Those who are in the covenant family through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Father, we just have to thank you for that this morning. We wait on you. We submit to you. Help us, O oh Lord God, keep our eyes on you and on your provision we pray in Jesus name Amen to be honest I just want to go home wow take your Bibles though for a moment or two and let's look at the Sermon on the Mount again Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. I hope you notice that we're picking up speed here. For many weeks, we went one verse at a time. Last week, we went three. Today, we get four. So we're picking up some steam as we move through this sermon. I dare say that what our Lord is talking about here in, in verses 13 through 16 is not an unusual concept to you. It's not a strange concept. I mean, you've probably heard all your life that, you know, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And Jesus makes that very clear here. 
you've probably sang the song that the choir sang this morning, even as a, I'll date myself here as a Baptist, but even as a sunbeam, you know? How many were sunbeams? There's a few left around. We all knew that God wanted us to be a sunbeam. That was what our whole calling was. It was a long time ago. But the point is, we all understand that this is a scriptural concept. That what Jesus is talking about here is not something that I don't think you'll probably sit back and say, Wow, I never heard of that before. But I hope you'll think about it a little more in depth this morning as we look at it. Hear the word of the Lord as Jesus speaks in verses 13 through 16 of Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by, uh, foot by man. You are the light of the world. But a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works, but they won't focus on you. They will see your good works and they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, there's a lot in these three verses, and I dare say we may have to come back to them again next week. I'm not sure yet. We'll just see where we get to. But I want you to see several things, first of all, kind of grammatically, if you will. The word you there in verse 13, and then again in verse 14, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. That word you, I want you to see in two lights. I want you to see it as a plural word. It is, if Paul had been southern, he would have said, you all... Or y'all are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Because it's a plural term. It's a plural pronoun. It's not singular. He's not saying you are the whole light of the world. You are such an important person. No, he's saying you, plural, who are my disciples, who have been called by my name and who have been set apart for my glory and for my purposes, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. It's a plurality. It's the church that is to be that in the culture in which we live. But the word you is not only plural, it is an emphatic you. It's very emphatic. It, it's, it's not you and some of you and maybe you will. He says you and you alone are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You and you alone. In other words, if the church is not salt and if the church is not light, there will be none in this world. It will be a saltless, tasteless, dark world in which we live if the church is not what God says and what Jesus says that it is. Now, the great thing to understand is here, Jesus says it is that. You are. You are indeed. You are without a doubt the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so he uses an emphatic plural pronoun there. And he uses the word are. You are. You are. So we need to understand clearly here that Jesus is talking about what Christians are to be more here than he is about what they are to do. 
And we sometimes get sidetracked here and we think, oh, we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to do this. Doing flows out of being. And how we live out that light and salt in the world will be predicated on the fact that we are that. That we have been made that, not by our own stuff, not by our own actions, not by our own deeds, but we are made that by the sovereign Lord who calls us and who adopts us into the family of God and says, now this is who you are. Now go and be that in the world. Go and demonstrate that in the world in which we live. In one word, I think what Jesus is saying here, if you want to boil these four verses, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, and then the explanation of it. If you want to boil that down to one word, the word, I think, is simply influence. The church is to exhibit influence in the world in which it exists. Why? Well, for this reason. The world needs salt because the world is corrupt. It's corrupt because of the fall. The world, if you see the world in Scripture, most of the time, you will, we want to interpret it various ways, but most of the time, when you see the, the term world, it's talking about that which is existing outside the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ. The world is captivated by the prince of darkness. The world is captivated by sin. The world is held in bondage to sin and slaves to sin. But you who are salt and light have been set free from that. You have been redeemed from that. You have been brought forth and you are now able to be salt and life in a world that is corrupt because of the fall. And the world needs light because it's in darkness. So oh, it's not dark out there today. The world's bright. There's no clouds in the sky. The sun's, the sun's showing forth beautifully. How can we say that the world lives in darkness. It lives in spiritual darkness. It's blinded. It's like a blind person who walks around all the time. No matter how bright the sun shines, no matter how many lights you turn on in a building, a blind person walks around in darkness. And Scripture many times illustrates that those who are outside of Christ are blind and walking in darkness. In the biblical worldview... If we understand what the scripture teaches as a worldview, we realize the world is corrupted and decaying. It's not only corrupt, but it is decaying. In other words, it's getting worse. And we realize that the world is also dark and it's growing darker. Somebody asked me this week, they said, you know, we've been watching the news. And you can't turn on the news every day without some report of somebody somewhere just going crazy and murdering a bunch of people or stealing millions of dollars, or, or doing... So we used to didn't hear about that. And that the question they ask is, is it, is it because we just have greater communications now, and so we hear about it? Or is it because it's really happening more? I honestly think it's a little bit of both. I think it is worse. I think it is getting darker. I think the deeds, the deeds of darkness are getting greater in the world in which we live, and it just happens that we can now hear about them within about 30 seconds, so they're happening in some cases. We are a, a media-saturated, communication-saturated generation. There's no doubt about it. But in a biblical worldview, we realize that part of it is, is that the world is dark and getting darker, it's corrupted, and it is decaying. And Jesus comes along and says, in the midst of that darkness, you're to be light. In the midst of that decaying and corruption and rottenness, 
You are to be salt. Now understand this. Salt had a lot of purposes throughout the years. There are basically two I want you to think about in light of the Christian being salt today. But before we get to those, you could find in some uh, annals of history that salt was used sometimes just as a sign of friendship. If you sat down to a meal with friends, you provided salt. If you sat down with enemies, you just let them eat it however it came out. But salt was kind of a symbol of friendship. You provided salt so that your friends could savor their food a little better. I don't know about you, but I love salt. I used to, I shouldn't tell this on myself, but I used to, when I was in high school, I would sit at the table in the lunchroom sometimes, and I had to finish my lunch, and I'd just take the salt and shake it out of my hand and put it in my mouth. I love salt. It could be a blood pressure problem in my, well, anyway. But I... I love salt. Salt adds something that nothing else does. Now, not too many people are crazy enough to want to eat it by itself, but it adds flavor. It adds taste. But so it's a sign of friendship. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Another thing it was a sign of many times was a covenant. That a covenant and seal. Today, if a covenant is made, we typically sign a document. And we, we put our signature there. But in, in Old Testament times, there were certain covenants that were sealed by the bringing out of salt in the presence of witnesses. And that salt was seen to be a sealing of the covenant. So salt's been important throughout history. But the two things that Jesus, I think, is specifying here as the important things is that salt uh, adds flavoring. It adds taste. He's saying you as the church are to add a certain flavor to the world in which you live. You're to add a certain culture a certain flavor to the culture, a certain tastiness to the culture that's out there. You're, you're to be among it. You're not to be of it, but you're to be among it. And your presence of being there, just living out what it means to be a believer, just living out your life in, in godliness and holiness will add a certain flavor to our culture, to our society. The second area that salt was used for primarily was for preserving. It was a preservative agent. You know, we don't think about using salt too much today as a preservative agent because uh, we have freezers in our home and we have all sorts of refrigeration and, and we don't need salt to keep our meat uh, uh, fresh because we just stick it in the freezer and freeze it like a brick and later we can thaw it out over a few, few hours or days and get right back to it. And it's as fresh almost as it was when it went in. But in, the, in Jesus' day, the salt had to be put on the meat very heavily. It had to be stored in the salt in order to keep it from decaying, in order to keep it from becoming rotten. And so salt has a certain preserving element. Jesus is saying here, listen, you add a flavor to the culture. You add a flavor to the, the general society. But you're also a preserving agent. You ought to be out there being what God's called you to be, just kind of intermingling among the, the, the world, intermingling among your co-workers, intermingling among family that are not believers, intermingling above your neighbors, and just by the way and who you are, you'll be a preserving thing to society. You think back of Lot as he left Sodom and Gomorrah, taking, I don't know what the imagery would be that his wife turned into a pillar of salt. There's probably something there, but that's not the point I want to make. But even just him being there in the midst of it as what Peter tells us later, 
righteous lot. You never would have known it by the way he was living. His saltiness was beginning to lose some of its savor. But, but Lot just being there preserved Sodom and Gomorrah for longer than it normally would have. I think the fact of the church being in the world, and as we talked about uh, last week, being persecuted many times, being hated many times, but the very fact that we are there, there is a preservation that is taking place. There is a, there is a continuing, a keeping of this world because of the saltiness of the church and saltiness of believers. Now, Jesus says, you know, uh, be sure that you don't let your salt become tasteless. You know, one of the greatest dangers today is that we as Christians start looking more and more like the world. That's losing your tastiness. That's losing your savor. That's losing the, the flavoring that you as salt are supposed to bring to it. If you lose your tastiness, you'll start looking like everybody else. And the church will start looking like an entertainment center. And the church will start looking like, you know, something that's all there for man. It's not all about God. It's all about who's there and, and all that sort of thing. That is a lack of being saltiness. It's not talking about losing your salvation here, folks. It's not talking about, boy, if you're not, if you're not salt, then you will lose your salvation. No, it's just saying, if, you're not, if you let your tastiness go away, you're still salt. Jesus says you're salt, but you don't have any value if you begin to look like everything else in the world around you. If you adopt, if you adapt, if you absorb the world's viewpoint and their actions just look like them, then the saltiness is gone, and you may be saved, but you won't have much effect. Then he talks about light. Light has two, two primary purposes also. The two primary purposes of light are this. They are to, light is to expose. You know, at night, if I hear something in my house, generally, Retta says, get the flashlight. I don't care if it's a popping or, or a scratching or whatever it might be, it's, Get the flashlight. Now, I keep the flashlight very handy right by my bed. And it's, it's a big flashlight. It's, it's, it's a mag light. It could also be used as a weapon, I suppose, if I needed it. So I, I get the mag light, and I turn it on, and I go through the house like this with light shining to expose whatever it was. Usually, I don't find anything. I go back to bed, and everything's fine. But as I go through the house, that light is exposing what was dark when I came into the room? Christians are to be like that. We are to have a, we are to have a part of, of our life exposing that which is evil, that which is decaying, that which is wrong. Without the light of the church, much of what we see in our world today that is beginning to grow and the darkness is growing would not even have a chance of being exposed if it were not for the church. And we live in a day of darkness. And you know, what, you know what darkness is? Or, or maybe I should say you realize there's no such thing as darkness. Did you know that? There's no such thing as darkness. Darkness is not a thing. Darkness is merely the absence of light. I can't tell Rick back there, turn on that darkness switch and let's get this place dark in here. Can't do that. Darkness is the absence of light. And the fear is in our day is that the church is becoming so complacent, becoming so like the world, 
that it's not that the darkness is getting bigger and worse and everything. It's just that the light is being hidden under a pet bushel or the light is being hidden under something else and the light's not shining brightly. The church is not shining brightly. And so the darkness prevails. Darkness looks darker because there is no light. The light is shining very, very dimly. Second purpose is to illuminate. They're similar, but they're different. The light of God illuminates so that we can see where we're going. Scott read that in, in Psalm 36, where th Psalm 36 verse 9 said, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Do you hear that last part of that phrase? Please listen to that. That's very important. Please hear it. In your light, we see light. We're not lights of ourselves. We're lights because we've seen his light. He has shown us his light, and his light is what is shining through us and exposing the darkness. It illuminates Light also has something of a purifying effect, especially bright light, sunlight. You put something out and it'll kill the germs and freshen it and do all sorts of things. But, but primarily here it's to expose and to illuminate. For in your light, we see light. Don't hide it, he says. Don't put it under, under a basket, but put it on a lampstand. Put it on a hilltop. Let your light shine. Let it be seen. Let it be known. You know, there's kind of a contrast here that's kind of interesting between salt and light. Basically, salt is invisible. It's in the food. It's mixed among. You, you don't really say, oh, there's some salt in my food. You may taste it there, but you don't look at it typically and say, oh, there's salt. I see it. Let me dig it out. You can't do it. It just intermingles. Salt is invisible. Light, on the other hand, is visible. You don't have light unless it's seen. You don't, you don't have light unless it's observable and people can see it. And Jesus said, listen, I want you to, I want you to rejoice, I want you to, I want you to let your light shine in such a way before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, here's the, here's the primary purpose for Christians, being salt and light. Here's, here's the number one thing why you're salt and light in the world. That men may see your good works and know they're not of you. They're not to draw attention to you. They're not to say, oh, how good you are. But they're to see your good works and their thoughts are to be deflected to your heavenly Father. And so glorify your Father who is in heaven. The primary purpose of being salt and light is to glorify God. To exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. To lift him up so that men and women everywhere will see and know who he is and his importance. I don't know if you've ever taking time to move through Scripture a little bit and just think about what is the most important thing a 
according to Scripture, that there is. What is God's primary desire in everything he does? Well, it, it has to do with his glory. I want to give you something right quick. It's, we're going to go through it quickly, I hope. But what is the most important question? Why did God do all that he did? You don't have time to write this down. If you want it, I'll give it to you later. Why did God create man? Well, according to Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7, God created man. He said, I bring my sons from afar and the daughters from the ends of the earth, says the Lord. Everyone who is called, who is called by my name, whom I created, why? For my glory. Why did God choose a people for himself and make Israel his possession? Well, Jeremiah 13, 11 says, I made the whole house of Israel cling to me, says the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. Why did God rescue the, uh, the children of Israel from the bondage in Egypt? He said, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider thy wonderful works, but rebelled against the Most High in the Red Sea. But he saved them for his name's sake, that is, for his glory, that he might make known his mighty power. Why did God spare them again and again in the wilderness? Well, he did that. He said, I acted for the sake of my name, for my glory, that they should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I brought them out, Ezekiel 20, 14. Why didn't God cast away his people when they rejected him and asked, as king and asked for a king? We talked about that in the Truth Project last week. Well, 1 Samuel 1, verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 20 through 22, simply says, Fear not. You have done this, all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. For the Lord will not cast away his people for his great name's sake. Now, you know, I could go on and on. I've got about four more pages of that, but we're running out of time, so I'm going to stop there. If you want the rest of them, I'll put them in the, beacon, I mean the uh, grace notes or something. And something for you to see. But I want you to understand this. God did all things for his glory. Now, some may say, well, doesn't that make God some kind of megalomaniac? Doesn't that make God some kind of big egotist up there in the sky, do this for my glory? Let me ask you something. What would he glorify if not himself? I mean, I'm open for suggestions. Is he going to glorify man, the sinner, the rebel? Is he going to glorify stuff, his creation, which is also affected by the fall? Is there anything higher than him, anything greater than him, anything better than him? Now, if I say to you tomorrow, or if I say to you this afternoon, listen, folks, here's what I want Grace Baptist Church to be. I want Grace Baptist Church to go out there and live in the world for the glory of the pastor. I want you to go out there and glorify the name of Bill Haynes. I'm the pastor. I want you to glorify me. Well, let me tell you something. That would be blasphemy. Because there's nothing here to glorify but if God says, I want you, I've done all these things and I want you to live to the glory of my name, to the glory of the Father, to the glory of him who sent his son into the world and did for you what nothing else and nobody else could ever do, there is nothing higher to glorify. That's not megalomania, that's just reality. So God, Jesus says this, you are salt and you are light. You are to live salty in the world and you are to live illuminating and exposing in the world so that men will see your works and glorify your Father 
who is in heaven. That's what salt and light is all about. The world needs it. But the world needs it because they need to see who he is and glorify him. Let's pray. Fathers, we look at this great truth, this reality of who you are and what you've made us. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will bring us as a church into conviction. First of all, that to be salt and light, which we are, by virtue of our conversion, by virtue of our being in Christ, by virtue of our adoption into your family, we are salt and light. But for the light to shine and for the salt to remain tasty, it means keeping our eyes on you. It means walking in you. It means declaring your lordship and, and acknowledging your lordship in every area of our life. It means praying, both as individually, but Lord, even corporately, even as we did this past Thursday. It means getting on our faces before you and saying to you, Lord, our dependence is in you. It's not in the world, and it's certainly not in ourselves. It's being on our face, crying out to you the Lord God sovereign of the universe. Our only sufficiency, our only hope, Lord, is in you. Father, we come this day. We say, Lord, make us, make us a bright light. Make us strong salt. Keep us in your word. Because, Lord, we can't stand for you in this world if we don't stand for your word. Because your word is truth, and, and truth points to you, and, and you've communicated to us in your word. We take it so lightly. Father, thank you for Grace Baptist Church. Lord, use us more mightily for your glory because it's all about you. As David said, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be given all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.